welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so happy that you are here today. It is a great day to praise the Lord. Amen? It is a great day to praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and praise the Lord together.
like you mean it this morning. You sound you can sound like you believe it. There is power in the blood. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, it has the power to transform you into a new creation, a new creature, and to give you take away that old heart of stone and to put in a heart of flesh that he can mobilize and he can convict and can make you a whole different creature. So thank God for the power that's in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us from our sin. Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're watching by way of YouTube or Facebook. Thank you so much, and we hope you'll be able to come be with us sometime. Uh, Leave seats on the aisles as much as possible. We still have people coming in. We're glad for that. We're going to be having the uh, 
second part of the Sermon on the Mount today, Sermon on the Mount part two. Uh, so I hope you're ready for that. And then also we'll have communion. So if you haven't taken kind of stock of your life this week, I hope you do so uh, before you go ahead and take communion uh, and make sure we examine our own hearts, make sure everything's right. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. If you have a special need on your heart right now, would you raise your hand up and hold it for just a moment? All right, several, lots of hands going up. Father, you know the burdens on the hearts of your people today. You know the needs of our people, Lord. I think of Monica, who uh, needs you to intervene in her life. I think of Gary Webb, who's be undergoing uh, some radiation treatments over the next few weeks. I think of uh, Bill Staten, who uh, we wish could be here today. I think of um, so many, I think of Calvin and some of the other guys who are going through some tough times right now in their training. Lord, I pray that you would be our strength. I pray you would be our protector. You are the Lord of heaven's armies. And so, Father, we pray you would walk with us and more importantly, that we would walk with you. Father, minister to us, grant what we need today to be able to face the week that we have before us. And Lord, whatever happens, we know that you're gonna be right there with us and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen. amen. Thank amen. you. May be seated. And if you are a first-time guest, I know we have some folks visiting today. If you would take one of these connection cards from the seat back in front of you and fill that out uh, with your phone number and or email, or some way we can get a hold of you, uh, we will send you a Starbucks card in appreciation. So uh, go ahead and fill those out, and then turn it in to myself or my wife or uh, to the to box at the back of the double doors. There's where we put our tithes and offerings in as members of First Baptist Church. And we just ask you as a visitor and a guest to turn in your connection card. Thank you so much for being here today. Military lunch will follow right after the morning service. Then tomorrow is Labor Day. So whatever you do, don't work. <laughs> <clears throat> Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Labor Day, uh, take it easy. Uh, then next Sunday, Sermon on the Mount, part three. Uh, still looking for volunteers in our children's ministry. If God's convicting you about that, listen to them and come find out what you need to do. Uh, new member class is forming. If you're interested in that, or if you're wanting to be baptized, let us know and we will take care of that. Now today, this is strange, okay? This feels very weird and self-serving. Uh, some of you have purchased our book already that's on, on Amazon, uh, and I think it's also on Barnes & Noble site now. Uh, so we have a book on marriage. Annabelle's got one there. Uh, and, and it sounds very <laughs> self-serving, okay? And yeah, Nancy's got one. So we're going to sign books for anybody who wants to have a sign it. Now, that's what the part that seems weird, you know, going to have a book signing. Uh, this is my second whole book signing in my whole life, so I'm uh, really experienced in this. But we also have books for available. Uh, if you would like to get those, we'll be out after the service, out in front. And uh, we just want God to get this in the hands of a lot of people because we think Pat's stuff is amazing. It is ama absolutely amazing. And, and I, I promise you. So I'm offering you a money-back guarantee. <laughs> if you get the book... And it doesn't help your marriage or it doesn't make you laugh, we'll give you your money back. No questions asked, okay? So, or if it doesn't make you cry, we'll give you your money back. So uh, be sure to pick up those and get them for friends. And I'm going to use them for 
counseling, when people go through premarital counseling, because I think it'll be a tremendous, give them a leg up on some things, that some of us had to learn the hard way. So <laughs> that will be right after the service. The book is called Summer of Love, Winter Edition, all right? Because we know where we are in this thing. The bulletin article is this, our heart. One of the Beatitudes we studied today is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed uh, or profoundly happy and at peace are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In the Old Testament, we're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our what? Heart, soul, mind, strength, and all our might. Our hearts are so important. Notice the qualities that can be assigned to our hearts. We use these terminologies all the time. The heart can be troubled. It can be wounded. It can be pierced. It can be grieved, the heart can be broken, but it can also be, thankfully, cheerful and glad and merry and rejoicing. It can be whole, or you can have a divided heart. It can be a wise heart, or it can be a foolish heart. It can be steadfast, true, upright, stout, and valiant, but it can also be frightened, wandering, dull, stubborn, proud, hardened, wicked, and perverse. How many know the terminology AFib? It's a short term for something that's kind of scary. It's the abbreviation of a condition of our physical heart, atrial fibrillation, whereby it can get out of rhythm. And so if it's out of rhythm with the chambers, that's not a good thing. I'm told one doesn't die of AFib, but we can have complications and eventually die because of blood clots that are caused by the condition if it's not treated. If our spiritual hearts get out of rhythm, there can be some dire results as well. Holy Communion is one of the best times to correct our heart's rhythm. Have you examined yours this week? I gave you a heads up last week if you were here. Examine your hearts. Go over them. If there's anybody you need to forgive, forgive them. If there's anybody you need to call, make things right with, call and make things right. You can still promise God to do that today and be ready for uh, the Lord's, the Lord's uh, table if you do that. There's still time before we commune today. So uh, I take it absolutely seriously. Paul says some were ill and some had passed away because they didn't take it seriously at all. So I want you to be sure to do so. All right, those that are able, let's go ahead and stand again. We're gonna sing and worship the Lord. Love these, cha- these songs. Thank you so much for them.
Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful and thankful for your sovereignty, for your omniscience, your omnipresence, for your omnipotence. Father, we're so thankful that in your great wisdom, mercy, and grace, you sent forth your only begotten Son, who died on that old rugged cross, was buried, and rose again three days later in accordance with scriptures, and lives forevermore. We're so grateful, furthermore, that when Jesus was taken out of this world, when he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended to guide us and to direct us and to be there for us in every situation. So, Father, bless us now this morning. God, this service is to you and for your honor and for your glory. Use it, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. And may be seated. I'm going to ask the young people, the young girls and boys of First Baptist Church, before you go to your class, come down here for just a moment. And then the older people, uh, that's not the way to say it, the adults... Uh, those that are left, turn to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 5. And we have got a ton of boys and girls up here. Let's give them a hand for being in God's house today. All right. God bless you guys and gals. So good to see you. How many of you are studying in classes in school? Let me see. How many of you go to school and you study classes? Okay. How many of you have science class? How many of you have a science, can you study science stuff? How many like learning about animals and plants and human beings? How many like hearing about, yeah, I said human beings, yeah. Okay, how many of you know that there are all kinds of squishy things inside of us that are important for life? How many know that? Like what's inside of us? What are some squishy things inside of us? A stomach, exactly. A what? That's you eat food and it goes into your stomach. What else is inside? A heart. Now, that's just exactly what I'm going to talk about for just a moment. Because if you were to take a heart, not a human heart, if you were to take a heart and you were to cut it open, what do you think you'd find in the heart? Blood, that's for sure. What, skin, a muscle, tissue, God. We've got, in some cases, it would. Yeah, you would. In some cases, that blows my illustration, but it's a perfectly good answer. So you, you know what else you would find? The Bible says, out of the abundance of what's in the heart, the mouth speaks. So that's kind of that's like, it's, they're not real words here that are in your heart. If you cut your heart open, the, the words won't fall out. But because of who we are and the way we are, if a lot of times we say what's here. And if we're angry here... Anger comes out of our mouth. If we're sorrowful here, sorrowfulness comes out of our mouth. If we're happy here, happiness comes out of our mouth. So, so what I need you to understand is somebody mentioned already, if you cut your heart, maybe God is there. Make sure that when you get old enough to understand that God loves you and Jesus died for you, that you have Jesus in your heart by asking him to be your God and your Savior. What a great group of kids here this morning. I'm so excited to have you here. Are you drinking coffee? No? Okay. Just wanted to check. Let's pray. Let's bow. Let's bow our heads and pray just for a moment. Father, I thank you for all these boys and girls up here today. And Lord, they're in the right place And on Sunday morning. I thank you for their parents and the family members who brought them. I thank you for each one of them. God, I pray you'd protect them from the enemy, the devil, who wants to destroy their young minds, their bodies, and their souls. So Father, don't let them do it, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. God bless you. Go ahead and go to your classes. All righty. Teachers are great, greatly relieved you're not drinking coffee. So that's all right. Yes, I know that. 
Last week we taught from the first half of the first part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, and this passage is known for the blesseds and the woes. Blessed are people who do certain things, and woe upon those who do other things. We discussed what the blesseds are. Blessed, for example, are the poor, not the proud. It doesn't mean poor financially. It means those that are of humble spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, in other words, who know godly sorrow, because godly sorrow can lead to repentance. We learned also, blessed are the meek, uh, those who not necessarily are weak at all, but they're meek. They have power under control. Uh, they're able to control their actions and their words and so on. And, and all, blessed are those who hunger and thirst uh, after righteousness, after God's righteousness. Today, we're going to look at two things, and that is being merciful and pure of heart. Blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart. So look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed there is the makarios, which means deeply happy, not just giddy, not giddy at all, but deeply happy and content uh, are the merciful. And the merciful here are the compassionate, the benevolently merciful involving thought and action. You're, you're, you're merciful toward other people's mistakes on the freeway for example. You're merciful about others. Yeah, we'll move right on past that one right now. Uh, We're merciful toward other people who do things sometimes that irritate us, but we're merciful. Uh, As referring to believers, it occurs only in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful ones. Not merely those who express acts of mercifulness, but who have this attitude as a result of the indwelling God. Because God indwells Christians, we ought to be merciful because God is merciful. You know, I thank God in the opening prayer just a moment ago. Thank him for his mercy that he gave me an opportunity to be born where I was born, to the parents to whom I was born that I had the opportunity to know Christ at an early age, to, that, that he helped me to receive him at an early age, that he called me into ministry, and I could go on and on, that he gave me the wife that I have, the children that I have, the grandchildren that I have, this church right here. I mean, the blessings of God, the mercifulness of Almighty God. is just, So it ought to be an attitude that we have, one of mercy. And, and if we are merciful... Then the Bible says, Jesus' words, they're in red. It says, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then he says, blessed, happy, makarios, are the pure in heart, the clean. The heart is the cardia, the thoughts or feelings. So it's not really the, the organ that pumps blood. You understand, we understand that. When we talk about uh, our soul or our, our spirit that knows God, we talk about our heart a lot of times. Uh, in, I'm told in some Asian cultures, it's, it's the... It's the bowels, the bowels of compassion and so on. Uh, So it might be different things, but blessed are those who are pure in heart and clean, for they shall see God. And that means to see, to perceive with the eyes, to look at, implying not only the mere act of seeing like I'm looking at you right now, but also the actual perception of what one sees. So to see God, we're going to know him you're not going to have to worry about when you get to heaven, how am I going to know who God is? How am I going to know who Jesus is? not going to have to worry about that. I personally feel like we're not going to have to worry about that for loved ones who preceded us. Fred, I think you're going to be in heaven and you're going to figure out where your wife is right away. And I think she'll be there to meet you. And I really believe God will give us the ability to know and to be known in heaven. And it gets complicated. 
Some of you have lost really young children or maybe babies. And you say, well, how can that baby know they didn't know anything? Because God's going to be in the mix. God's involved in it. And somehow he's going to make it possible. So, so the thing is, we will actually see and perceive God. If we're pure in heart, uh, Theos, our God, we're going to see him. Uh, sometimes people think, uh, I'm too in your face or confrontational when it comes to calling sin, sin. Some, some say you need to kind of soften things, especially with the way that morals are today and the way that culture is changing. You need to kind of soften things up because being called a sinner is offensive. And so they want me to be more tactful and subtle. And I'm thinking maybe like Jesus was when he said, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like whited sepulchers. You're like graves, beautifully adorned on the outside, but inside are full of corruption, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness or filth. Even so are you outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's pretty tactful, right? Yeah, you bunch of hypocrites. Or how about when Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, old generation of snakes, you bunch of vipers, you bunch of cobras, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, what I was just talking to the kids about. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or maybe like John the Baptist was in Matthew 3, 7, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of snakes, who has warned you to flee from the wrath of God? Well, you know what? I believe that if I really love people, I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, not going to change it. I'm not going to air condition hell. I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it seem like it's not as bad as it really is, but at the same time, do it with a heart of love. You can stand for the truth and not be mean about it. Did you know that? You can stand without, without just trying to be aggravation to people. You can. So both Jesus and John were pointing out what's important is what's on the inside. What's important is what is in our heart. We, we may appear to be happy outwardly to people. We may, you may, uh, uh, what was the comedian's name that, um, okay, Flip Wilson, whatever. <laughs> that doesn't fit with what I'm saying. Uh, Robin Williams, he, he seemed like one of the happiest guys, one of the most carefree guys in the whole world. His comedy was incredible. It was insane. It was so good. And he took his life. So we never know. We never know what's on the inside of someone. That's another reason why we ought to be merciful uh, to people. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know what burdens they bear. We don't know what trials they have. We may look like Christians on the outside. A lot of cults look like Christians. I was, I was walking my dogs the other day, and there was, uh, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. It was like 110 degrees or whatever. It felt like it. it I'm so stinking spoiled, it, you know. It was, like, it was like 82, and I was like, oh, this is a... My friends in Texas, you know, it's just 114 today. I said, it's hot here, too. It's really bad. Got down to... It didn't get down below 65 last night. It's just miserable. It's awful. All those preachers that I think are my friends are hoping there's actually a purgatory so I can go there because I got to spend so much time out in California. They may, the cults look like Christians. I mean, they look clean. They look, you know, they're concerned. They're out, they're out laboring and working. And uh, they put some of us Christians to shame, actually, because of their energy to expend for their God, small g-o-d. 
They may look like it. They may claim to be religious, but, but what's on the inside, what's in our hearts? You know, one of the scariest verses in the Bible was when people come to Jesus and, and want in, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That's a scary thing to me. We better make sure we know him. We better make sure we've made room for him in our lives. We need to walk with God. We're not of this world if we truly are his. We live by different standards. We, have, we ought to have a different worldview. We ought to look at everything through the lens of the word of God. Our happiness is not to be determined by people, possessions, or places. But our joy, abiding joy, ought to be determined by a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, the Savior. So we have learned so far that, that the ones who are truly happy are those who are, and I'll summarize it this way, bankrupt, sad, gentle, hungry, and thirsty. Those are all inner principles we've been talking about. The next Beatitudes begin to reach out to others, and they are the fruit of the first four. So four or five, depending on hungering and thirsting, if you count that as two, are inward. The last three are outward. So merciful is outward, and pure of heart is outward. Uh, so today we're going to learn about these outward qualities that make us happy in a heavenly way. And I want you to, you, maybe you've seen this, but um, we're going to have a film clip here in a minute illustrating mercy. Uh, Le Miserable, did I say that right? Where, where's the gap? She, she's in the classroom. Okay, all right. Le Miserable, uh, Valjean, Valjean? Valjean, Jean Valjean, uh, served 19 years of hard labor uh, for the crime of stealing bread because he was hungry. And he was freed at last, and a priest takes him in and feeds him, and then he comes back at night and robs the church of the silver. The police catch him and take him to the priest, and they're ready to throw him back into jail for, probably for the rest of his life. And this is where the video clip uh, picks up, and I want you to watch this just for a moment. Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Silver. We caught this man red-handed. You have the nerve to say you gave him this. 
That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. It gave me goosebumps watching that once again. The mercy that that priest shows that man who had been unjustly imprisoned for so long. Blessed are the merciful. The significance of mercy is this. Some take it to mean if we are merciful to people, then people will be merciful to us. If we show mercy, then they will show us mercy. What comes around goes around. The idea of kind of karma, what the seeds you sow, that's, the, that's what you're going to reap, but not necessarily so with other people. One Roman philosopher said mercy was the disease of the soul. Romans were not known, the Roman military, for showing mercy very often. When a child was born, I'm told that the father could determine if the child lived or, or died. He could just determine, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, a, a Roman could have his wife killed or his slave killed. Uh, Jesus was the most merciful person in the world, and yet look what happened to him. Uh, he was crucified, nailed to a cross. What this really means, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, is this. If we are merciful to others, then God will be merciful to us. God keeps the record. Aren't you glad for that? God keeps the ledgers. God makes sure everything's balanced out in the end. God's the one. We can't depend upon other people to be merciful to us. They're just not always going to do that. And we fail sometimes in our being merciful to others. But God never fails in anything he does. He becomes our benefactor, which is what the root of the Greek word used here really means. He is our benefactor. It is an action word. It's genuine compassion with pure, unselfish motive that reaches out to help others. It's not for what they can do for me. I will help them. I'll scratch their back. They'll scratch mine. That's the human concept of mercy and sometimes the human motive for it. But it's not that at all with God. It's genuine compassion, pure, unselfish motive that reaches out to help those without any kind of an intended uh, reciprocal action at all. Those in God's kingdom are not takers, are not to be takers, but we're to be givers. We're to be the ones administering mercy. We're to look for ways to be merciful. We can still, uh, we can still be just and, and righteous and, and, and stick to the truth, but we need to show mercy in doing that. Matthew 15 uh, verses 1 through 9 tells of a Jewish man whom Jesus confronted 
who had figured out, like a lot of Jews of his days, why they weren't obligated to take care of their parents. In, in summary, they had dedicated, supposedly dedicated their money to the work of God, and so I can't take my money and use it for you, Dad, or you, Mom. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use it for, uh, it's all dedicated to God. Of course, they would use it for whatever they wanted to use it for in the end. Mercy is more than just pity. It, it's more than even forgiveness or even love. Having mercy is an act of doing. In a little while when we leave here, I hope that we'll go out looking for ways to be merciful. When we, go to, when we go to the restaurant, if you go to a restaurant and you sit down and the waiter comes and, and they get the, your order wrong, be merciful. And when the food comes and it's not right, be merciful. I preached all this one, I was preaching one time on a similar message and, uh, and we went to a, uh, it was a motorcycle ride and then we wound up at some place, I can't remember now where it was, if it was Liberty Station or somewhere, but we went in, all of us went at one time. It took us like 45 minutes to get our order in. Like 45 minutes to get the, when it came, my wife likes her meat well burned, uh, well done. She, <laughs> She likes it absolutely. She's no pink and, you know, just done. And so when they came, you know, we, she stuck her fork and knife in it, and I swear it mooed. I really do. It, and it kind of tried to walk off the plate. So, and we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And you know what I did for a tip? Gave extra. Wasn't the, wasn't the waiter's fault? It was some cook back in the kitchen somewhere, but we try to show mercy because we, it's an act of doing. It's something that we as Christians should do. We, again, never know what someone else is going through. We never know what valley they might be in. Mercy moved Joseph to forgive his brothers who had sold him into slavery. He, he could have had them put in prison. He could have had them killed, uh, but beheaded or, or hung or whatever else, but he did not. He chose to love his brothers. He chose to be merciful to his brothers. What could they do for him? Not a thing. What did he do for them? Everything. He gave them an inheritance and forgave their sins. So Joseph is a perfect example of that. The, the Good Samaritan was a perfect example of that. The priest walked by and wouldn't do anything for the broken man. The Levite walked by and wouldn't do anything for the poor, poor man who was robbed. But the Samaritan, who was a hated, despised, half-race type person in their culture, stopped and helped this Jewish man. And, and took him and, and poured wine in his wound and bandaged him up and put him on his own steed and led him to the Motel 6 and there paid the bill. And he said, if he needs anything else, if he needs anything at all, put it on my tab and I'll pay it when I get back. Did he expect something back from that guy? No. For all he knew, but next time he came back, the guy wouldn't even be there. He'd be gone. But he took care of it. That was an act of mercy, most of all the most merciful person in the entire history of mankind is what Jesus did for us, forgiving us of our sins by grace through faith. That's the source of, uh, that's, that's mercy. That's, that's an outward act. The significance of mercy is you can't overestimate the significance. Secondly, the source of mercy is God. If we're at the end of ourself, if we're mourning 
over our failures, if we're practicing gentleness and meekness and hungering and thirsting after him, he will be merciful to us. Most of us, if through truth we're known, we want to receive mercy, but we're not so keen on always giving it. Uh, I, I sometimes catch my, and again, I, I use the illustration on the freeways because it's so appropriate for me. It's just like convicts me, and I've got, a, I've got to confess to you, uh, sometimes somebody will pull in front of me and not signal, and, and, and I'll think, well, that, thanks for the signal, buddy. Thanks a lot. For, appreciate that. And then I stop and think, how many times have I done that? How many t- I don't know what there is about my car that I've got now, but I almost run over people quite routinely on the freeway. If you see me on the freeway, don't pull up alongside me in a wave. I'm liable to run you off the road, and I don't mean to. I don't see, I, I don't know what it is. I'm, 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 I look, turn around and look and, you know, look my side view mirror and check everything and turn the signal on and move over and there's a car there a lot of times. It's just, so how many times have we done what we condemn other people for doing? You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. That's what that's called. I'm good at that. Jesus said, be you therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. The source of all true mercy comes from God, and he can, use, he can deliver mercy through us as we become conduits for him. The substance of mercy is physically, it's giving. It's giving what someone needs. It's giving them forgiveness. It's giving them maybe a sandwich if they're hungry. It's giving them maybe a place to stay. Mercy never holds a grudge. Mercy never retaliates. Mercy never takes vengeance. Mercy leaves all the scores to settle to God and doesn't determine we need to settle scores ourselves. So physically, that's what it is. Spiritually, mercy is a pity for that person. If we weep for the, someone said, St. Augustine said, if we weep for the body from which the soul is departed, should we not weep for the soul from which God is departed? That's profound to me. If we weep for the body from which the soul is departed, should we not weep for the soul from which God has departed? Should not we be merciful to people who need mercy? Like Stephen, don't hold this sin against them. Like uh, our Savior and Stephen and others have said through the years, Fox's Book of Martyrs are filled with people who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Lay not this sin to their charge. Then the sequel of mercy is obtaining mercy, again, from the person of God. Second Samuel twenty two twenty six. with the merciful, God, you will show yourself merciful. So blessed are the merciful. Secondly, blessed are the pure of heart. And, and you know what? I don't, I, please don't understand. I, I'm not saying here I am a paragon of being merciful. I am a paragon of pure in heart because I'm not. I wrestle with my own problems. I wrestle with my own sins, my own shortcomings, my own failures. But f- from the text, from the Word of God, what, and the context here is what is being pure of heart? Well, first of all, a Jewish man of Jesus' day was hopelessly lost and condemned. And so are we today, initially. Keeping the law of God was impossible in Jesus' day, and so it is today. Keeping the laws of the Pharisees was even worse. There are over 600. I think I gave you a specific number uh, a few weeks ago, 613 or 39 or I don't know what, some, over 600 of them. Uh, nobody could keep them all. And, and still, even with that, there was pride. I thank God 
the publican said that I'm not as other sinners. I'm not like this guy over here who's waiting to pray. I thank God I'm not like him. Pride, even though he was a sinner. When Jesus set a standard for his disciples, he said it wasn't be like the Pharisees. He didn't say, here's what I want you to do, folks, as you go out preaching the gospel. I want you to be like the Pharisees. He, he didn't say that. I want you to be like the scribes. He didn't say that. He didn't say keep the law. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. They were lost, and so are we, unless we get born again by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This beatitude is right where it belongs, right in the middle, uh, and right in the heart. It is talking about the heart, right in the heart of these attitudes that ought to be. There are only two religions in the world, really. There's works and there's grace. All the other religions fit in those two, works or grace. Either you're going to get to heaven, you think, by doing all of these acts of kindness, by fulfilling all the laws of God, or you're going to get there by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? The heart refers to the inside, the thoughts more than the emotions, and God is after a changed heart. I've been reading a book that's very, it's disturbing to me in a way, and it's encouraging to me in another way, and it talks about the heart, and how, I've said so many times, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, we, we can't even trust ourselves because our heart. But this author says, but wait a minute. God gives us a new heart, and that new heart is not desperately wicked. We still have our old nature to wrestle with, but the new heart is good. And, and Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The things that we are thinking about, things that we meditate on, are, are what we are. If we think about lustful thoughts, we are a lustful individual. We're an adulterer, we'll find out in, in another message here uh, coming up, guys, uh, or, or ladies, either one. Uh, if we think the right kind of thoughts, then that's going to be uh, that's going to be a better thing for us. As we think in our hearts, so are we. So, so maybe there's something to what this author is saying. We're not completely worthless if we've been born again. We've got a new heart. So there's another part of us at work. There's another side of us at work. And David said, after that terrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba, he says, "Create in me what a clean heart." Oh, God, and renew a right spirit within me. So he pled for God to give him a new heart and to make his spirit clean again. Pure means to be cleansed from filth and iniquity, free from sin, chaste. It also means to be unmixed, like not coupled with anything else. It's like when gold or silver is refined and the ore is taken and the ore is crushed and then you have this, this silver but it's got dross in it and you melt it down and what happens? The dross, because of specific gravity, uh, the dross comes to the top and is scooped off and is discarded and you, what you have left is pure silver or pure gold. So our hearts need to be cleansed, and God is refining us. And, and, and ref, did you know refining is painful sometimes? Did you know we, we kind of shrink from refinings? I, I will guarantee you, I know I have many times, I will guarantee you, you have prayed at some point or another, God, please don't let me go through this. God, keep, keep this from happening. And yet it was something that God was using as a refining process. 
Someone else uses the illustration of diamonds in the rough. Diamonds are not just found all sparkly and many faceted in, in the earth. They're, they're uh, odd shaped and they're encrusted with all kinds of impurities and so on. And a, a master diamond cutter has to know exactly where to cut and where to hit and where to chip on that to make it a stone of any beauty and of any value. And you know what God is doing with us sometimes? He's chipping away the stuff that's unholy, the stuff that's not right, the stuff that's not good. And we don't like it sometimes because we don't want to let go of those things. Young people here, don't, don't get into that kind of stuff to begin with. Stay away from that. I thank God I got saved when I was eight years old. I told you this last week. I, I'd have been in a lot more trouble in my life than I did get into if it hadn't have been for that. I'll tell you right now, I thank God for that. I really do. Pure motives come from a pure heart. God wants all of your heart, not just part. You ever bought a house? Yeah. Some of you bought several different times. Uh, probably not lately. It's ridiculous to buy a house. I don't know how kids are going to buy houses. Anyhow, it, it, you go buy a house, the realtor shows you around, and you go, you're going through the house, and you, you're going to put an offer on it, and, and you say, well, wait a minute, what's this room back here? This room back here is locked up. It's got a padlock on it. And the realtor says, I guess David says, uh, oh, that, the owner has that one, that room locked up. Oh, can we, can we get a key and unlock it and see what, see what the room's like? No, he plans on keeping that locked up. What? You mean after I buy the house, it's still going to be? Yeah, he, he doesn't want anyone in that room. He's, he's got stuff in there that's important to him, and he just wants to leave it like that, and, and he, wants, he doesn't want anybody messing with it, doesn't want anybody rifling with it. Are you going to buy that house? I don't think so. You may, you know, it may be someone's mom who died 200 years ago in that room. You don't, you don't, you don't want to, you know, what's his name, Bates? You know, I, I don't know. It may be, may be something illegal in there. Maybe something dangerous in there. Maybe a bunch of, I don't know what, vipers. That's right. Who knows? You're not going to buy it? So when God comes into our heart and our life and our, he, he wants all of us, he doesn't want just part. And that leads to more conflict because he has to keep trying to take things away that he doesn't want us to have in order that we focus on the things he wants us to do and to be and to have. Later on, Jesus would teach, for where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be also. Where you, what's important to you, a good check, a good check is to look at your checkbook. You still have checkbooks? I have a checkbook. Everybody under 25 probably said, what? what? Oh, man, I got Venmo or PayPal or Apple something or something. I still got a checkbook. Still, still balance them. <laughs> I got into it one time with a guy. He said, I said, he, he said, I never balance my checkbook. I said, you, you never balance your checkbook? How do you know what you got? He said, bank tells me. Like, I'm going to trust them, right? 
He concludes in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, no man can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So purity is more than sincerity. It's much more than that. It's being chaste. It's being clean on the inside. It's not just sincerity because there wasn't anybody any more sincere than the prophets of Baal who cried out all day, all morning long and cut themselves and bled themselves to try to get their God, Baal, to answer their prayers. They were plenty sincere. Someone said morality can drown a man as fast as a vice. A ship can sink with gold or dung. It can, it can sink with either one. So how can one's heart be made pure? How can, how can our heart be made pure? Well, suffice it to say, we can't do it by ourselves. Job 14.4, who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? And the answer, of course, is only God can make us pure. What is the promise attached to such purity? We will see God. They shall continually be seeing God for themselves. We can live in the presence of God. You can know he's there. You can sense him. You can feel him. You can, you can hear him. You can walk with him. You know we're commanded to walk with God? And one day we'll see him. I mean, really see him. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Yes, dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. So this morning, let God purify your heart. Be merciful to people, and let God purify your heart. Yeah, the heart is wicked, but when God gives us a new heart, the one of stone is removed. And God said unto Samuel, look not on the countenance or on the height of the stature, because I refused him, for the Lord does not see man as man sees, for the Lord looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding. Your words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So what have we learned this morning? Genuine, deep, abiding joy comes from exercising mercy to those that are around us. Are you merciful at home? Because sometimes we're more merciful to complete strangers than we are those of our own household. That should never be. That's upside down. Are you merciful at work? Are you merciful at play? What else do we learn? God is the one who extends us mercy. Mercy is an inner or an outer quality, rather, so is purity. Purity must reign in our hearts. What is in our hearts comes to the surface. Purity is more than just sincerity. The pure of heart will see God. Are you merciful? Would you ask God to help make you that way? Are you pure of heart? If you are, you'll see God one day in all of his glory, in all of his fullness. Would you bow your heads, please? Our fathers, we bow our heads before you. We bow our hearts, as it were, before you. Lord, we, we want to renounce the unclean parts of our heart. We want to thank you for working so diligently on excising the dross, the impurities, the uncleanness, the things that are not a glory to you. God, as best we know how, we give you full reign 
this morning to cleanse us in whatever way you see fit. God, to make us fit vessels, fit for your use. Lord, we want to walk with you. We don't want to just know about you. We want to know you. And if there's someone here that's not born again, they're not, they don't have that new heart put within them. They, they've not been made a new creature yet. May today, this morning, right here in this place, may this be the day when they become a new person in Christ by grace through faith. If you're here this morning, you don't know for sure. If you died, you'd go to heaven and you'd like to know that. You'd like to know Jesus. You'd like to walk with him. I want you to pray this prayer. Say this. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to be forgiven. I know my thoughts oftentimes are wicked and impure. And Lord, I believe that Jesus is your son and he died on that cross and he was buried. And I believe he supernaturally rose again on the third day. And right now, this morning, where I'm seated, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. May Jesus be my Savior, my God, right now. I pray in Jesus' name. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer right now, you meant it, you talked to God. Would you raise your hand up real high? Hold it up for a moment. I won't embarrass you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Are there others? I just, preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I, I, I meant it with all my heart, with all my cardia, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Father, bless these who made that commitment today. May you change their lives from this day forward in a supernatural way. Lord, may you prepare them for their eventual home in heaven forever and being with you and with loved ones and doing incredible things for all of eternity with you. Father, we ask for those who maybe are contemplating becoming a member of this church or maybe wanting to be baptized. They've been saved, but they haven't been scripturally baptized since that point. I pray that they would come this invitation. I pray that whatever you move us to do, Lord, if it's to recommit our lives, if it's to turn our lives over to you, if it's to submit to your purging, cleansing process, May we do it right now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to come forward. If God's touching your heart, tugging at your heart, something you need to do, I'll meet you down here and pray with you. Uh, my wife's in the very back. Ladies, if you need to talk to her, and she would be glad to pray with you as well. But as the uh, praise team leads us in this invitation, would you come right now?
seated and I would like to have those that are going to help with the distribution of the elements to come forward. And if you did not get the cup and the bread, if you would raise your hands as they come through, they will make sure that you get those. This is the part of the ceremony where you examine your heart. You look inward and ask God the hard question, the honest question. Is there anything, Lord, that's grieving you in my own heart, my own life? And if he reveals that to you, then go ahead and confess it and make it right to him. Apostle Paul was appointed an apostle after the time of the others, after the time that Judas failed and betrayed the Lord, after Matthias was elected to choose his, to, to serve his term, the Apostle Paul was saved miraculously on the road to Damascus and became an apostle, one who knew what Jesus' teachings were and saw him, saw him on that road. So he recounts this in the letter he wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 11, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So he looked to that table of the Passover feast and he chose two of the elements. It could have been several other elements, but he chose two. The first one he chose was that of the unleavened bread. Since leaven was a typical type symbol of sin, he chose the unleavened bread to represent the body of our Savior who was without sin. 
He who was without sin died for those who were without purity until they came to know him. So when Jesus had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Our Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the body of our Lord that was crucified for our sins. We're sorry that he had to be broken, but we're grateful that he was willing so that we could have eternal life. Bless this bread, bless his body to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The second thing he chose was the cup, the fruit of the vine. Just as the grapes have the life of them squeezed out to make that juice that we drink, so he was literally drained of his blood through the beatings, through the crown of thorns, through the lashings, through the nail prints, through the spear wound. The Bible says he poured his blood out. And so after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this blood is the New Testament. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We remember the blood that he shed. Our Father, we sang earlier, there's power in the blood. We understand this is juice. We understand it's a symbol of the blood of Christ that was shed so freely to cover our sins, and we thank you for doing so. In Jesus' name, amen. Come drink you all of it. The Bible says they sang a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives, and so I'd like for us to stand. If you're willing to do so, is join hands with as many people as you can in a show of unity, and, and let's sing the chorus, Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. Amen. Amen. Let's go walk with God. Be merciful and pure of heart today.